in our second week of looking through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, specifically in there looking at the idea of spiritual gifts. Last week we looked at the first three verses, and they're so short that I'll just read them. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And we began by noting in verse 1 that Paul doesn't want us to be informed about this. We did say this is a secondary doctrine, but that doesn't mean it's not an important doctrine. And one that we should try to reach conclusions. And we kind of talked about the two ways Christians sometimes respond to these secondary things. And some have the mindset, and we put it in quotes, of being loving, peaceable. Um, We said that actually isn't love, but they may say, look, Christians have disagreed for so long. I'm just an agnostic on this issue. We can't know. And yet the word Paul uses as agnoeo, where we get agnostic from, he says, actually, I don't want you to be agnostic on this issue. I want you to make up your mind. But then we said the other extreme is Christians who are overly arrogantly dogmatic on secondary issues. They have no charity or grace to those who disagree. And so we looked at Ephesians 4.15 where it says the body is built up as we speak the truth in love. And then we looked at verses 2 and 3 because there Paul kind of from the beginning wants to keep off two extremes. One extreme it says, you know what? Anything that goes outside my comfort zone, that can't be spiritual because that's not from God. But then the other extreme is, well, anything that is causing growth, anything that says they're Christians and doing, well, we should accept that. And he said, no, not everything that says this is from Jesus is from him, and not everything that is extreme is not from him per se. Now, that's not to give a free pass to everything, but to say we should be slow in condemning those who are honoring Jesus as Lord in their life. And then we ended by giving an overview of the work of the Spirit I took from J.I. Packer's book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, where he said that one of the things Christians often do is they look at a truth and they only focus on one aspect. And he tried to give the big picture that the Spirit gives us power, that the Spirit leads us in performance of exercising spiritual gifts, the Spirit leads to purity in our life, and the Spirit, spirit presents spiritual truths to us so that we can understand them. And then we gave this overarching picture that the Spirit's role is to shine on Jesus. And today, in our verses, we're going to see him expand on that, Paul expand on that, and talk about that there is one Spirit, he gives a variety of gifts. So let's look at our verses today, verses 4 through 11. Jerry, could you read those for us? 12-4, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, variety, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each 
one individually, just as he wills. All right, so today we're going to give more of an overview of these verses. Next week we'll dive into the specifics. But Paul now begins by using three similar phrases to show there's both diversity and unity. And he's using the Trinity to show us that. He begins by saying, there are a variety of gifts, but there is one spirit. Then he says, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now, why am I saying that Lord is Jesus? I want to pass out some verses real quick. Elaine, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 2-3, these are all on your page. Arnold, Philippians 2.11, and Katrina, 1 Corinthians 8.6. Uh, just because we're going to get to these in a few minutes, Sarah, could you get the verse from the next section? Romans twelve six, John, Ephesians four seven, and Keith, First Peter four ten. All right. So, why would we say Lord is a title for Jesus? Well, First Corinthians one two through three says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, to call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. So there, very clearly, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is their Lord and ours. Philippians 2.11, a verse we probably all know. And every time confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah. So, first the Spirit has one Spirit but a variety of gifts. There's a variety of service but one Lord and then... It says there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all of them. Now, the Bible is clear. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. All equal. And yet sometimes, oftentimes, when the Bible only uses the term God, it is specifically referring to the Father. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is one God, So there we even see in that verse showing Lord means Jesus and God is referring to Father. Now again, Paul's not tying everything up because we could say the Spirit who is God or Jesus who is God. But here, Paul is clearly making a Trinitarian argument. He's saying, look, the Trinity is diverse. God is diverse. There are three persons, but they all are equal in essence, being in power. What do they have? Well, they have different tasks. They have different assignments. They have different roles. But that doesn't mean one is of greater worth than the other. Implication, we in the church have different tasks, different roles, different assignments, different gifts. But we all are of equal worth, value, and importance. Don Carson writes, The triune God loves diversity. So much so, as someone has remarked, that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each snowflake different. We manufacture ice cubes. So what are some areas in the church where we should desire diversity? And on the flip side, are there areas where diversity would actually be unhelpful or unwarranted, unwanted? So I do think we should want diversity, but as you all know, that's kind of a buzzword today that gets used outside of good context. So where should we want diversity in the church and where should we go? That's not the diversity Paul's talking about here. Um, 
used to be driving in, I would listen to Grace Church, and that's when Tom Rogers was still alive, and Tom and Reggie would preach alternating Sundays. Tom Rogers was not Reggie Coe, and Reggie Coe is not Tom Rogers, but they were both doctrinally sound, fundamentally sound, uh, but they were different, and that diversity, I think, is helpful in the church to hear different preaching styles. Yeah. It helps in terms of outreach that uh, different people in the congregation kind of represent different workplaces. Yeah, they, uh, we're not the First Baptist, we're not First Baptist, Wichita Falls Baptist Church of Plumbers. Which, on a side note, is why I'm a little bit opposed to calling yourself like Cowboy Church or something. Because uh, what if you aren't Cowboy? Now, I, the people I know who go to those churches go, oh, well, anyone's welcome. Well, then why call yourself Cowboy Church? <laughs> you know, we're not the middle class whatever church. When we were largely, early on, we were largely an Air Force community here. And it was awkward for civilians to come in and be a part of this because it's, it's like people were speaking in tongues without an interpreter. <laughs> I'm still getting interpretations of tongues. I'm a c- civilian, but I feel comfortable around here. <laughs> so, different talents. So, are we here? Perspectives differently, different vocations. What are other areas of diversity we should desire, we should want in our church? Well, I think the main point of diversity is every single one of us was created in the image of God. So, on that hand, we're all exactly the same. But when you look at us, we're all very different, still in the image of God. So whatever I have that's different from anyone else here is valuable. And that's why the body of Christ is not just one person. It's, it's a whole group of people. So it's all that genetic material or all of those gifts or talents or whatever combined that makes us really powerful. Yeah. Uh, on a basketball team, if everybody pe- played the same position, it would be pretty boring. So you have five individuals each with the separate roles. Yeah, and then we're better together with our separate roles, yes. I was going to say, not only would it not be better, it wouldn't work. If everybody was a forward, then there would be no post, and the team wouldn't work. Yeah. So the different gifts that we have, we should use them and not desire someone else's gifts. Yeah. And I'll jump into my other question. Within, the, oh, go ahead, Keith. Within the church, diversity is important. And I think if you're being a biblical church, if you're preaching, teaching biblically, you will foster that diversity. You will attract that diversity. But if you go out seeking diversity, then you risk being goofy in your doctrine. Yeah. And that's where we really need to say, well, we don't want to be diverse in regards to different perspectives or views on primary issues. Oh, well, we need to hear from someone who, well, maybe in the world we do. We should engage those ideas. But in the church, on essential doctrines, we don't want a diversity opinion. Now, I'm not saying lockstep. Last week we focused, there can be differences on secondary matters, but there are some areas where diversity is not helpful. But let's go on, because now verses 7 through 10, he's going to say we're gifted for the common good. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So Paul is saying that each one, each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And that's not only taught here, it's in several other places. Romans 12, 6, Sarah, if you could read that. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. The various gifts given to us, to each one of us. Ephesians 4, 7, if you could read that for us, John. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's 
So grace is given to each one of us, and then he's going to have a little digression, and then he talks about the various gifts that were given in the rest of that chapter, or Keith, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's, or sorry, as good stewards of God's varied service. Yeah, to each who is given a gift. And he's saying all of you have been given a gift. And we really can't emphasize enough that every believer is gifted by the Spirit and has the Spirit of God. It's not the elite church members. It's not the select few. It's not those who have connections at the top. Rather, every single person is given a gift by the Spirit and is given the Spirit himself, not itself, Spirit is a person, at their moment of faith. Thus, while we may have many stages of growth spiritually, we may look back and go, you know, I went to this conference, I went to this retreat, and I really grew, and I, my life was changed. I wasn't unconverted to converted at this point. I was already a Christian. But then this later life, you know, I went through this season, and I, the Spirit really moved. And we can look at stages of growth. We should deny any two-stage, well, you're saved, but then you really need the second experience of the Spirit, where then you are whatever you fill in the blank. So, we should believe in stages of the Spirit, not two stages, if that makes sense. And maybe some of you think, what are you talking about? Well, that can be a very um, common teaching, and I would call the more extreme Pentecostal movement. Where I'm not trying to just attack them. But they would say, well, yes, you're saved, but you really, if you really want to enjoy this Christian life, you need a second stage of manifestation of the Spirit in tongues in your life or something like that. Now, this isn't saying that you only have one gift. You might be given multiples of gifts. Um, so it's not just saying one gift, but rather it would be saying that we have each a gift. In fact, it would really be odd if we only had one manifestation of the Spirit. You know what? He was only gifted in loving, but he's not really compassionate. Well, the Spirit probably gifts us in more than one thing. And Paul then makes clear that the purpose of this gift by the Spirit is for the common good. You know, Christianity is definitely about a personal relationship with God, but it is not exclusively or for the purpose of only. It should then lead to interpersonal relationships with other believers. In other words, to be faithful to God, each believer should be active with other believers in a local church. You know, sadly, in the U.S., churches, Christians have bought a consumer mindset. You know, I worked at a grocery store, and even 20 years ago, the managers would tell you the customer is... What? Always right. They say the most absurd thing, but their thought is, if they get angry and leave, it's so hard to get them back, we'll, we'll give them whatever they want. And so people have been used to this, because this is everywhere we go, you're always right. You get an order, and you say, I didn't order this, even though the waitress may look down and, okay, sure, we'll get you another one. You, they make a mistake, the manager comes out, gives you a gift card, for another, you're always right, we'll get everything. Well, then we bring this into the church. And well, I'm coming here. Well, what is this church going? How is this church going to help me? Well, how is this going to affect me? And those aren't necessarily bad questions per se, but they're not the only questions. How can I serve this church? And now, this is not just Christians. This is churches. Sometimes churches set it up where you show up to a slick production. Now you know we're definitely not talking about our church. Uh, and the whole goal is come observe these slick professionals. You come in. There is no expectation for you except to come, sit down, and then afterwards, y'all can leave now. The expectation has no, like, you should have an obligation. 
In contrast, I think Scripture should compel us that if we could come every week, week in and week out, and never feel any obligation to do something, then we're not living up to what the Spirit of God is calling us to. Now, I don't mean I feel obliged to do a task. You might feel obliged, hey, I remember last week in Sunday school, I heard John talk about he was going to have an important test. I really want to go and talk to him, tell him I was praying for him. How did he do? Oh, I, I haven't seen them for weeks and they just showed up. I really want to go over and talk to them and, and give them a word of encouragement. So don't hear obligation, well, now i got to go check some list. <laughs> it's an obligation of the Spirit being shown in our life to care about brothers and sisters. Now, Paul expands on this generic idea of we need to be using gifts for the common good to giving a list. Again, we're not going to examine each gift today. We'll look at most of them next week. But we're going to give a big picture. And on your page, you have a chart there. Because this is not the only time Paul gives a list of spiritual gifts. He also gives one, you can see on your chart, at the end of this chapter, 28 through 31, in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and then Peter gives kind of this like broad overview of gifts, whether your gifts in speaking or serving. As you can see, by just briefly looking at those lists, they're not identical. So no list is intended to be exhaustive, like, okay, well, here's the spiritual gift, so I need to figure out which one of these do I have. Nor, if we combined all the lists, would we then have an exhaustive list either? Rather, these are just various ways typically used for whatever letter context he's writing to. Hey, these are the ones that we're talking about that you need to understand. And in looking at them, we should also recognize that none of these necessarily are in order of importance, unless the author says that. And we can even see that in this list, because here, in 8 through 10, he has an order, and then verses 28 through 31, he kind of switches that order up. It's not as if, well, the first one stated as most important, the last one's least important, or anything like that. So, as you kind of look at those lists, what stands out to you? Okay. To distinguish between spirits. Okay. Well, we'll be diving into the specifics next week, but we should note that this gift of the Spirit, look at verse 7, is a manifestation of the Spirit. And perhaps I'm going to draw too much from this idea, um, so y'all can let me know. But I kind of became convinced this week that we should be careful in drawing too concrete an idea around the word gift. And what I mean by that is when we hear the word gift, we hear of, oh, in school, they're part of the gifted and talented we hear it as like a very concrete thing, like that person really understands math, or that person really understands poetry. It's like a skill per se. And yet, some gifts of the Spirit do not have like a clear, tangible nature about them. Maybe the gift of teaching is a little bit clear, but they have the gift of compassion. Well, I mean, you can kind of see it, but in some ways it's invisible. There's no evidence that you would immediately go, ah, oh, 
I mean, you go, oh, you know what? Whenever someone's in need, I hear they're reaching out, they're calling, they're taking meals. But nonetheless, it's not as concrete. And yet, both of them are manifestations of the Spirit of God. And in thinking of this, I was thinking, you know, what is really the gift God gives us? The greatest gift? It's Himself. And the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, the greatest gift I can show any of you, give any of you, is to show you Christ. And that takes words and actions. It takes both. If you look at Peter's list, list, speaking and serving. All of them. Or if we remember last time, what is the Spirit's overarching goal? To shine the light on Christ. So if that's his overarching goal, well then how is he going to gift people? I'm not opposed to using the word. How is he going to gift people? Well, by manifesting the Spirit of Christ in their life. You know, to use an illustration, Jesus is the sun, S-U-N, we're the moon. All we do is reflect his radiance. The moon in and of itself does not illumine, it only reflects the illumination that's bouncing off of it. Thus the Spirit gifts us, gives us a manifestation of the Son of God to reveal the Son of God. J.I. Packer writes, Edification, our growth in godliness, is precisely a matter of growing in the depth and fullness of one's understanding of Christ and all else in relation to Him, in the quality of one's personal relationship with Him, and it is not anything else. So spiritual gifts must be defined in terms of Christ as actualized powers of expressing, celebrating, displaying, and communicating Christ in one way or another, either by word or deed. They would not be edifying other words. So let's kind of expand on this. Because he talks about, you can even look on that list and then flip over to the next page, some various gifts. One gift is pastor or shepherd. I'm going to pass out some other verses here. Tracy, would you turn to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Jerry, you could go. Man, there's so many here. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. I'm not going to go through all those. Elaine, Mark 10, 45. Arnold, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. I'm just working down this page. Amira, could you turn to Romans 15, 18. Royal, Mark 19, 41. Thank you. Mark 9, 41. Sarah, Matthew 25, 40, and John, 1 John 4, 7-12. Got your own. Alright, so well, let's think about what we're saying here. So the Spirit gives us the ability to manifest Christ. Well, let's look at pastors, shepherds. Tracy, if you read 1 Peter 5, 1-4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So pastors, shepherds, elders, all synonymous terms in the New Testament. What are we really trying to do? We're trying to reflect the chief shepherd. That's what the gift of pastoring, shepherding is, being, reflecting this nature of Christ being the chief shepherd or prophet. Christ is the ultimate prophet. I have some verses on there. I'm going to have Jerry read one. Acts 3, Peter talks about that. Deuteronomy 18, we're told through Moses, there's a greater prophet than you who's coming. And then on the 
Mount of Transfiguration, uh, when Jesus is there, Moses and Elijah are there, the greatest Old Testament prophets. And what does God the Father say? This is my son. Listen to him. That's what you do to prophets. saying, Showing Jesus is the final great prophet. You could create the greatest prophets, but even you, y'all need to listen to him. Or Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made his own purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he begins many prophets, many times in the past, but now he has spoken definitive. Jesus is the final prophet. And so when the gift of prophecy is used, it's living that out, living out what it looks like for Jesus to be a prophet. And we'll talk in a few weeks what it means for prophets to be around today or not be around today, as you may argue. Either way, um, service. We're called, I mean, Peter gives two lists. Speaking or serving. But, Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, and Jesus will tell his disciples when he's washing their feet, as I've done to you, so you go and do. That's the point is, whether we're exercising our gift of shepherding, the gift of prophetic speech, or the gift of serving someone, what we're doing is we're manifesting Christ to them. That's why the Spirit gives us gifts, so we might be manifestations of Christ to the world. And we see that even some examples. If someone is sinning, it's not just us as a church rebuking them. Notice what it says in Second Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. So we do this in the name of Jesus. We're trying to show this brother Jesus would be separating from you. So we're separating from you because we're trying to manifest to you what Jesus is like. Or Paul talks about the work he's done, but notice what he says, Romans 15, 18, about the work, his missionary work, his work as an apostle. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. I skipped you, Katrina, sorry. So that Christ accomplished through me. Who was doing all this work? Who was building churches in Ephesus and Philippi? Well, Christ was. Paul was just the one who was the representation of Christ. So God, Paul was given the gift of apostleship to take Christ to all these people. Or when we serve, we're serving not just ourselves. We're not serving for Wichita Falls Baptist Church. We're serving for Christ. Mark 9.41 for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because he belongs to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So even small tokens of compassion. Here, have some water in Jesus' name. We're representing him. And not just representing him, we're in another way even serving him. Very well-known verses in Matthew 25. One day, they'll come before the Lord, and he'll separate people, sheep and goats, and he'll say, you didn't take care of me. You didn't feed me. And 
Matthew 25:40 says, And the king will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As we serve the church, serve the believers, we're doing, we're serving Christ. I think this is most clearly seen in 1 John, what I'm arguing for here. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Here, I'll just say a little bit about it. He is calling them to live lives of love. And in the midst of it, he shows them, you know what love really is? It's not y'all's love for me. It's the love that Jesus had for you, that he was a substitute for sin. And then let's hear what he says, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love and does not, does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among that among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So he's going through, he's saying all this wonderful stuff, and then there's this weird statement. In the midst of this discussion of love, he goes, no one's ever seen God. I mean, was that like on the side notes? Things important I need to say to this church, ah, I haven't gotten this in yet. There's nowhere else. I'm running out of page parchment here. No one's ever seen God. Okay, let's keep going. Why does he insert this phrase, no one's ever seen God in the midst of discussion of love? Well, the Gospel of John, also written by John, says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him known. So God is invisible, and due to our sin, we're unable to see his glory. Yet Jesus took on flesh so that he would become visible and show us the invisible God. And Jesus made God's character, which is full of love, manifested to us, but Jesus isn't here on earth anymore. He's in the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he will return. But how can the world today see God's love? Well, that's why he's talking about the fact that God is not seen, because he's saying, you, when you love, you are showing the invisible God to the world. You are making God visible. And that's why he said God's love is perfected in us. Now, perfected is a word with many nuances, but in this case, it's the idea of reaching a goal. God's love has reached its goal in you, in us, when we as a body are displaying the invisible God to the world around us. So then tie this all back together. We are blessed with the Spirit to manifest Christ. We're not given gifts so we can then just kind of go do some cool things. We're specifically given gifts by the Spirit so we might be a manifestation to others and for the common good. To wrap this up, I'll quote again this section up, Packer again. The truth we must grasp here is that our exercise of spiritual gifts is nothing more nor less than Christ himself ministering through his body to his body, to the Father and to all mankind. From heaven, Christ uses Christians as his mouth, his hands, his feet, even his smile. It is through us, his people, that he speaks and acts, meets, loves, and saves here and now in this world. Now, I spent a lot of time on that. Why, and you might be thinking, 
That actually wasn't that important. But why might that be important? To see that the reason for all these spiritual gifts is to manifest the Spirit of Christ to the world, to each other. Why is it important in everything? Yeah. This isn't my mission. This is his mission for me. Okay. When I don't do what he's called me to, I'm not just letting down myself. <coughs> I'm not honoring him. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Were you going to say something? Well, it says uh, that our job, our mission here on earth is to glorify God. <coughs> so that's why it's important that's our sole mission here is to glorify God. Yeah, definitely. We're going to the church and we have no tools other than what he gave us in the spirit. That's, those are the tools with which we build. Yeah. We, we don't have resources in and of ourselves. So now I'm going to tackle two questions that often arise from this. Well, so how do I determine my gift? And then after this, well, is this something that I naturally had, or is this amplified by the Spirit, or is this a new gift? We'll talk about these things. So first, how do I determine my gift? And I'm going to say, well, that might not be the best question. The better one might just be, how can I show Christ to this community? Uh, In that, we can then think about some of the common ways to reflect on this question, and that is, first, and this is not necessarily an order of importance, where are the needs? You know, the Good Samaritan, now it's a parable, I know. But let's just say the Good Samaritan's gift was teaching. He wouldn't then walk up to him and go, well, you know what? It's not my gift. I, I'll expound a psalm to you. All right, I've used my gift for the Lord. No, he, he then needed to show the manifestation of the spirit of mercy. He didn't use his gift, it is a gift, but his gift of teaching where right now is the Spirit of Christ most needed for this group of people? Well, that's where I'm going to exercise the work of the Spirit in my life. Second, though, as you serve in various needs, it is worth considering where does my service most help others in showing Christ? That's not a bad question. In other words, do I, is this something I do feel gifted and I enjoy doing? Now, I, I could fill in for the audio, um, visual, actually not visual, audio equipment. But after a few weeks, as the static is getting worse, the feedback is getting more annoying, you might go, you know, why don't you work on that gift of teaching and I'll step in and fill in that gift we need of service to make sure we can hear you speaking. You know, you're not actually blessing us by serving us in that way. So where are you blessing others? And in this, it should be both ways. I've known people who think they have the gift of teaching who basically have the gift of wanting to tell other people their opinions. The gift is not, am I able to speak in public? And I'm not saying they're ungodly. Maybe they just needed more training. Or maybe they just weren't gifted as a teacher. And that's fine. No gift is of greater value in the church. Now, some have more clearly import that you know if you have bad teachers or you have bad cleaners in the church well the bad teachers are going to lead people away from Christ sooner than not having clean toilets but they're both important and equally valuable in God's eyes as service and in that 
we should be trying to bless others and seeing if they're blessing others. Now to get a little bit more specific, sometimes people, as they have a great love for Christ, think, I need to be a pastor. Yeah, we're not all gifted in that way. And if someone is saying, I feel called to pastoral ministry, and as a body we're going, we always cringe when they preach, and when they lead a Sunday school lesson, we're kind of like, that was weird. It would be unloving for us not to tell them, hey brother, I'm glad you love the Lord, and I'm so glad that you want to serve, but we don't think you're called to be a pastor. At least not in a public teaching way. Maybe you're called to be an elder in a local church where you do more one-on-one ministry. But in love, it's not just, I'm going to go determine my spiritual gift by myself in my quiet devotions time. I then look at the needs. I start serving. And does the body go, yes, hey, you should do that more. Or do they go, hey, thanks. We have some other ministry needs over here. Could you come do these? And in this, we need to see the difference between secular gifting and spiritual gifting. You might be a world-renowned university professor. But if in the church you aren't helping people come to know and enjoy Christ, well, you might not be gifted to teach in the church. Teaching in the church is not just content transfer. And in this, if we begin with needs first, and then see where does God use us, we may discover we have gifts that we never noticed. Keith told me a couple weeks ago that many years ago, maybe he'd still say it now, Tim Keller would say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And yet, probably, Tim Keller has been used as one of the most prominent persons in the last two decades to lead people to Christ. Or, one person tells that when they were in elementary school, they'd hide in the bathroom when it was their turn to speak. In college, they would throw up before their public speaking class. That's John Piper. And yet, he one day... uh, the chaplain of his Christian college said, would you pray for the service? And he was so scared, but he heard himself say yes. And then he said, God, if you'll get me through this, I'll never turn down another speaking opportunity. And he prayed. He wrote out his prayer. (laughs) He prayed, shook, and he did it. And he kept using that where there were needs. And most people would say, at least in our circles, John Piper is one of the most eloquent, gifted people. Well, what did he do? He said, well, there's a need. He didn't go, well, not gifted there. Where is there a need? And then where does God bless me? Where does God bless others in that service? And again, all this is to say, I think we recognize our gifts not in private meditation, but public ministry. And that's why I'm not opposed to spiritual gift surveys. You've probably seen those. But I think sometimes, at least the ones I've taken, are more asking, what do I think about myself? What do I like to do? What, well, that's not bad. But what if what I like to do is not blessing the body? And we need to go, where are their needs? Where am I blessing others? And this is my potpourri of gathered wisdom on this issue. And Tom Schreiner helpfully comments, we can also say that in some respects, it isn't crucial that you recognize and know your gift. If you're involved in the church, if you're serving other believers, You are exercising your gifts even if you don't know what they are. And that is the most important thing of all. So let's say we get to the end of this series and every one of us is more consciously, prayerfully, joyfully looking around and going, how can I love and care for others? Then I would say, 
this has been used by the Spirit of God. Even if at the end you go, I still don't know where I'm gifted. Are you serving lovingly, joyfully, consciously others? Well, then you're showing them the Spirit of Christ, even if you can't go, you know, I'm right here, down three columns, over two rows, that's me. Well, it's not bad to be able to do that, but that's not the most important thing. Another question often asked is, are spiritual gifts, natural talents, amplified, or new gifts? And I would just say, why do we need to put or? Could it be and? The story of Moses, we're not going to turn there, Exodus 4, God called him to go speak to Pharaoh, and Moses is basically saying, I don't have that gift. And yet God says, well, I can use you. It doesn't matter if you don't have that gift. I can give you new talents. But yet, couldn't it be amplified? Imagine an engineer who doesn't know Christ and then in his 50s comes to Christ and has a burden to go help with missionaries to put water wells in Africa. Well, isn't he using the engineering skills that God gave him? And now also, so that's an old skill, new skill, I want to show mercy to people. The Spirit of God is taking what's old and adding a new desire with it. And in this, everything's from God in the first place. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do I have that I did not receive? So whether it's a natural talent or a nurtured talent, if you're then using it to show, to manifest Christ, then that is what we're desiring, what God is desiring. Now maybe... And I'm going to keep going. So any thoughts on that? We've gone over a lot of information. We're getting long on time and long on information still need to cover. Yes? What would you say if someone feels like they would like to serve in a specific way and they're declined? Like, well, I guess... Is that a, is that a more... Well, I guess, could you definitively say something so I guess then you just have to look into why were they declined. You know, if it was earlier example, young man in our church saying, hey, I want to do this, and he's preached a couple times, and then he comes to Keith and I say, hey, I want to preach again, and we go, let's sit down. And then we explain, you know what? We're not, until we see some major changes, going to let you preach again, because we've been talking to you, and it hasn't changed in these areas. Well, that's one thing. That's pretty good. Well, I'm, I'm going to go to another church. Well, they'll let me. Well, don't think that's wise. You know, you're not heeding the counsel of the church. But that would be different than if maybe we're prideful and we don't want other people to have the pulpit. And No, we're not going to let you get up there. This is keys in mind. And they're talented. We're going, no, no, no. Well, that's different. Then you maybe say, look, I, I feel gifted by God and y'all aren't letting me exercise my gift. So it would kind of vary each context, each situation. But I would say in most situations, you don't have to ask someone permission to exercise your spiritual gift. It's, it's part of who you are and what you do. And uh, Guess what? We're all called to be teachers in some aspect of our lives because there's hardly a day goes by where we're not teaching somebody. Uh, and I may teach you today and you may teach me tomorrow, but we're both, we both have that gift for certain opportunities. And... Uh, I kind of look at I am the vine and you are the branches. So as, as long as you have that connection, you will bear much fruit. And the fruits of the Spirit are, are listed. And I don't know that that's an exhaustive list. But if whatever you're doing is showing, well, 
peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, those things. Yeah, that's probably an indicator that you are a branch of the vine. And yeah. So, you know, it's not something we do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. No, it, it's a part of who we are. Yes, definitely. Well, that'll lead to this last part. Gifted by the desires of the Spirit. And we'll put the afterburners on here. Um, so, verse 11, he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Spirit gives people not on inherent quality, prestige, or the skill of a person receiving. Rather, he distributes as he desires. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, John 3.8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we should be praying, Lord, would you send the Spirit? Would you allow him to blow afresh here? Now, if we circle the wagons, go back where we started in these verses, we see from God, from the Spirit, from Jesus, there are a variety of gifts, services, and workings. So, we may have the gift of encouragement. That may be a gift. That's different than someone else, and we shouldn't go, eh, it's not fair, why didn't I get that gift? Um, but in that, there's various services. The way you get to carry out that gift is not the same. Maybe you'd like to do more, but... You know, and then there's various of workings, and workings is kind of like effects. And we can get upset. Well, how come I've been giving this wise counsel, it never gets heeded, but Miss Superficiality over there is having people clamoring to hear her. It's not fair. The Spirit blows where he wishes. How come I've been using my gift of hospitality for years, and no one's come to Christ? They have one potluck, and everyone wants to know Jesus now. That's not fair. The Spirit blows where He wishes. He appoints as He desires. And in this, we can rejoice when God uses others. It will be clear, we are not in competition with any church in town. We should all be working for the kingdom of God. And if we hear that someone is being blessed by another church that maybe came here a couple times, we should go, great. Now, I would love for more people to come here, and I would like for everyone who comes here to be blessed, but... You know, the reality is, I'm a unique person with certain personality traits, and I am not going to minister to everyone. That's just the reality. And so I should be eager to go, you know what? I'm trying to help you, but it's not working. Why don't you go talk to this pastor? And they come back and go, they really helped her. Hey, go talk to Keith. I don't need to go, man, it's not fair. Keith gives counsel, and people are helped. I give counsel, and they look at me with deer and headlights going, eh. God allows the Spirit to be used in different ways. Give thanks for that. Don't be bitter or jealous or, or prideful. Huh. I give counsel. You know what? All these people, they don't go to the pastor. Come to me. If they want to know what to do, that's who they listen to. And so recognizing this should kill the sins of pride, the sins of bitterness or jealousy. Uh, and in this, I think we should recognize that if we're different from everyone else in the church, that probably should mean we should stay. You often go, oh, I'm different from everyone else. I'm going to go to a church where everyone's more like me. And yet, if you want to fully represent the Spirit of Christ to that church, stay. They are being blessed by you in a way no one else is. And if you go to a church where everyone's like you, 
you're not going to bless them as much because they already have a lot of the Spirit manifesting itself in that way. Is that going to make it easy? No. Are people going to misunderstand you because they're focused on their gifts? Because you know what? As churches, we kind of like to gather with people who have our set of gifts and we get teaching churches and evangelism churches and discipleship churches. Oh, they don't do it right. Let's, and we all huddle and kind of collect our spiritual gifts in different church baskets. And say so we should go, oh, what, what does this church need? I'm different. Well, let me try to manifest the Spirit in that way here. Last thing I'll say, because we're near the end, Tim Keller points out, none of this should allow us to have spiritual gift cop-out. I mentioned this with the Good Samaritan. We can't go, well, I have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of service, so I'm not really into cleaning the toilets. Well, I have the gift of cleaning, and that person is over there and needs someone to counsel them, but that's not my gift. I'm not going to do that. As Jerry noted, some things we're all called to. If someone, especially if children, you're called to teach them in the ways of the Lord. Whether you have the gift of teaching or not, you're called to do that. Uh, in here he talks about the gift of serving. Well, you can't be like, well, that's not my gift. The question I think we should all be asking is, where for this body, this person, can I manifest the Spirit of Christ to them? And if you're asking and doing that, then I believe you are exercising spiritual gifts. Any final thoughts or comments as we wrap up? Just a secular analogy. I haven't watched professional sports since I lived in Boston, which was 1988, I think, and uh, Larry Bird was playing for the Celtics. Larry Bird could not hit a free throw when he was in high school. Not one. He was zero. So he went and practiced eight hours a day, every day, until he could hit free throws pretty consistently. So if there's a so-called gift that you want, you can also practice it. So you talk about the gift of encouragement. Well, guess what? If you don't have the gift of encouragement, try to encourage people. There's some validity there. So are, are we saying that there's a division between secular and spiritual gifts in the sense that that my spiritual gift is only used to bring people to Christ or to serve people in Christ? Uh, I was trying to say it doesn't need to be either or. It could be both. That you have a secular gift that maybe isn't used in the church, or it could be. So it just depends. You'd have to look at each one case by case. So I, I don't think we should just see that they're always this firm distinction. It's more how we Yes, that, that would be, if you're only using it for secular purposes, then yeah, that's a secular gift. But hopefully a Christian is using all their gifts for spiritual purposes, doing everything as unto the Lord. All right, well, we will end there.